Canucks Central postgame show. Bear shoots, he scores! Ethan Bear has his first as a Canuck, and it's 2-0 Vancouver before the midway mark of the opening period. The Vancouver line, right wing, Tate Thompson, nice toe drag into the slot, left wing, Skinner, he scores! With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Third power play of the game for the Canucks, they're one for two, as Spencer Martin stretches it up the right wing for Besser, and for Horvat alone, he scores! Paul Horvat on the great transition keyed by the Canuck netminder Spencer Martin, and it's 5-2 Vancouver. On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks win 5-4 on the road in Buffalo over the Sabres, and this is the Canucks Center postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Vic Nazar. Phone boards are open. 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And also hit us up on our Dunbar Lumber Texan box, 650-650. The Canucks, well, they hang on. They had a multi-goal lead. As much as three goals tonight end up winning 5-4. But, hey, a W is a W, and they've had a hard time taking home those multi-goal leads. You'll take them any way you can. Before we bring uh, Randy Janda into the discussion here, Bick, it's one of those games where the Canucks' best players, they all scored. Horvat got a goal. Miller got a goal. Elias Pettersson got a goal. And they still had to kind of hold on to dear life uh, in that third period towards the end. And Spencer Martin made just enough saves to help the Canucks come away with this victory. Major Samuel Jackson in Jurassic Park vibes. <laughs> yeah. Hold on to your butts, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, but look, they did it. Yeah, they did. Got two points in regulation, no less. Uh, and uh, honestly, like, you know, we've talked the, the, the past few days, how many complete performances have the Canucks really had so far this year? A lot of people look at the Penguins game, you know, Anaheim, they ate five, but they looked very good offensively, obviously. Um, this, you know, I, I know five, four isn't, isn't a kind scoreline. Maybe it's part of the new NHL where, you know, uh, the old school game of three, two is that's how every game should look like. Maybe it's more like four, three, five, four now. Uh, I, I generally speaking, I thought it was more, one of the more complete performances we've seen so far from the Canucks this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I did think overall it was a strong game. Buffalo, I don't think, played all that strong. But let's bring in Randy Janda into the discussion. The Canucks really needed to show up and do anything they could to win this hockey game. So as far as getting your result and your top players stepping up to have a solid game, I think they hit all those markers tonight, Randy. Yeah, yeah absolutely, guys. And I think, you know, when we've talked a lot on these postgame shows about hey, you know, where was the effort? Where was the 60-minute effort? Where was the battle level? Was it consistent enough? I thought tonight they brought it, and especially that top line of Miller, Horvat, and Garland early on in that game, setting the tone, leaning on the Buffalo Sabres. And as I mentioned earlier, it, like this was not a, a complete game. I think Bo, or sorry, uh, Bruce Boudreau is going to have a lot of things to talk about from a defensive perspective, maybe some of those penalties late in the game uh, where you see Brock Besser take one in the offensive zone. But all things being equal here, you wanted a W in this game. You walk away with it. And most importantly, they didn't cough up that third period lead. So, you know, that battle, battle level was consistent. And, and that's what you want to see from this team. There's a lot of building to do beyond this. But the way that this road trip was going, uh, you just needed to pick up the two points. And now they've gotten four out of a possible ten on this road trip. In my eyes, still not uh, a passing grade, but something that was much needed. Randy, you mentioned the top line. Uh, I want to mention the other line. Uh, mm -hmm. The you know Will Lockwood out there, like yeah. with minutes to go uh, late in that game. But realistically, like they did kind of everything that you want. They got a goal, which is incredible. They drew a penalty. 
uh, and they were physical. And that's why you get rewarded with a shift late into the third period up one goal. Yeah, and I look at Will Lockwood's game and, you know, going back to his first experience in the NHL last year where you saw kind of flashes, but you also saw him getting out of position, maybe going for that hit. Today, it was just a a strong, I think, confident player that you saw. And confidence has never been lacking from Will Lockwood, but did you see it in the right places last year? Not necessarily. I think tonight, this was a guy that was being aggressive on that forecheck, leads that first goal by Dakota Joshua. Even late in that game, picking off that pass at the defensive blue line, just a, a smart read, smart play, and goes back the other way, and at the very least gives the Canucks an opportunity, maybe not to get a scoring chance, but just ease some pressure off them and, and be in a position where they're in the offensive zone. So I look at that line, even against Boston in the third period, you could see that that line with Dakota Joshua was getting a little bit more minutes where they were providing some energy, some offensive zone time. So you add Will Lockwood to that, who... His foot is always on the gas, down on the gas pedal. He's ready to go. I, I like that, but to me, Will Lockwood is also a little bit more contained in the sense that he wasn't going out there and being reckless. It was a, a smart player tonight, which is, I think, from a progress perspective, that's what you want to see from Will Lockwood, and that's why he's going to stick in the NHL if he continues to play that way and he builds some consistency in his game. Yeah, I mean, w- one thing that really stood out was the speed that line played with and mm-hmm. the, the amount of confidence Bruce showed in them. We've seen Bruce really lean on his veteran players, and, and really... He, he leaned on the top two lines very heavily tonight, but it was interesting to see, especially late in that game, he wasn't afraid to throw Niels Oman, Lockwood, and Dakota Joshua out there for some shifts, and that's been a bit, a bit of a departure from what we've seen in some previous games. I think it just, especially when you focus on your, you know, the effort aspect, and are you bringing it for a full 60 minutes? And you know, I think against Boston, you saw a team that was in the third period, maybe not necessarily you know, hitting on all levels. And we saw, you know, certain lines were, were not playing that well, where at least from a speed perspective, from a energy perspective, and from a commitment level, you could see that the fourth line was going that night. And I think it's very similar to what we saw today against Buffalo, where you know what to expect from those guys. And I think, you know, Neil Zoman, we can discuss about where we think his, you know, where his skill is at and how, how he can maybe from an offensive perspective, can he offer you something? I think Dakota Joshua is doing a pretty good job of offering that. But one thing that they do bring is effort. And if Will Lockwood matches that intensity and that consistency, uh, you're going to have more games like that where you're saying, all right, we don't know what their ceiling is offensively. It's probably not that high. But are you able to make the right plays? Are you able to get behind the defense and put some pressure on some defensemen in this league? And that's what I liked about both the the top line in this game and that fourth line where they were able to get pucks deep and they were able to get the puck behind defensemen and put pressure on them. And if you look at some of those early opportunities, you look at a couple of those goals, that's how they started, boys. Uh, Andre Kuzmenko comes back into the lineup. Uh, you know, did you notice much from him tonight? Uh, you know, his turnover kind of leads to the one goal, but outside of that? Not really. Uh, there was a couple of moments maybe in the offensive zone where he got a shot off, looked a, you know, a little dangerous, but I, I thought with Kuzmenko, uh, the real the real aggressive play, the real this, what stood out for me was Mikheyev, yet again, starting to pick up speed, picking mm-hmm. up that pace, and Elias Pettersson, just the way he's winning board battles and the way he's engaging you know, on the penalty kill, which was a strong from him. Is, uh, but as far as Kuzmenko is concerned, I think that goal was something, unfortunately for him, that's going to be one thing that stands out where he gives away the puck and rather than hustling back, you notice him kind of 
kind of going through the neutral zone, not being there immediately, more reacting to his giveaway. And he played 11 minutes tonight, 14 shifts. I, I don't necessarily think he stood out in a in a great way. They win tonight, but still a work in progress for Kuzmenko. I think that confidence looks a little shot right now. It, it really does. And, and that's one thing I wonder about. And I turned to Bick a couple of times and I asked him and I wondered, I'm like... Uh, does Bruce play a part into Kuzmenko losing his mojo? Because it wasn't too long ago where he was excelling, getting a lot of points. And there's parts of his game I don't mm-hmm. love. Absolutely, I get it. And sometimes a coach has no choice but to you know send a message and, and get a guy on board. But one thing that Bruce also talked about a lot, and this is where I wonder about the inconsistency sometimes in terms of messaging. And when he talked about Niels Hoaglander, like, hey, at least if you score, I'll live with it. Like you know, I'm gonna, I'll live with the mistakes if you score. Well, Kuzmenko's scoring. So why can't why can't you live with it as long as he's scoring? You know what I mean? And that's one thing I wonder about. And I hope Kuzmenko gets out of it, and, and maybe ultimately Bruce is right on it. But ever since we saw Bruce kind of you know uh, tighten the leash on Kuzmenko, we haven't seen the player be nearly as effective as he was before. So that's one card. I wonder if it's playing the playing out the way he wants. Yeah, and I do wonder what's his road back to power play one because if you look at Brock Besser's game today, five on five, he's a dash three and plus minus. He got one assist again today, but if you look at the ability to you know influence a game, uh, he took a, a penalty that was not great late in that game. He he hasn't scored even though he's come pretty close a couple of times. Even tonight, he had a chance early in the game. What's the the return for Kuzmenko coming back to power play one? He only got 16 seconds of power play time tonight. So, you know, a moment like that, when you're a skill guy, when you are racking up the points, racking up the goals, power play helps to boost your confidence. You're taken off of it. It's going to, you know, undercut what you've been doing. So I think with Kuzmenko, him being on power play one, him getting the opportunity to score those goals, and Sat, to your point, there was production there. Uh, that's going to boost his confidence. So that's a situation I'm watching to say, at what point does he return to power play one? Because, listen, five on five, and we all talked about this. When he made the move over from Russia, when he signed with Vancouver, that there's holes in his game. But do you lean in on what he does well? And one of the things he does well is play power play with skilled players, and he's produced on the power play, whereas Brock Besser, as of right now, when it comes from a goal scoring perspective hasn't so I think one way to boost his confidence is get him back on power play one and give him minutes there now uh just just to get on Brock um I, I I'm kind of confused just like where we're at with his game because you know he does have points here in a handful of games now in a row but you mentioned like tonight you, you just look at the box score and you know, like every player is going to race and mm-hmm. see hey what do my numbers look like tonight and it's going to be a dash three the, like the 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 point production is there but as far as, like, you, you kind of mentioned overall influence on in the game, I, I'm struggling to notice him sometimes. And I know, look, tonight, you know, skating with Sheldon Dries at times, it's going to be tough. But by and large, like, where are you at with Brock's game right now? Yeah, I thought on that line, he might get an opportunity to at least be a, okay, it's going to be a quick cameo there. He gets the shots off. This is an opportunity for him when he gets maybe some opportunities to play with that line just to build that confidence. And we can maybe throughout the game see him bumped up but you look at that ice time 13 minutes today and you know Niels Oman played outplayed him uh in terms of ice time and, and you start looking across the players that played more than him or at least comparable uh, to me he's kind of a a player that's trying to find his his role in this lineup and for so long we've been looking at duos in this in this lineup right I think the one that's been working on the top line has been Horvat Miller and Garland had a much better game today I thought he was engaged throughout the whole game uh, you start looking at Mikheyev and Pedersen that's become a duo that you can start to rely on a little bit in that two-way game 
who is that duo for Brock Besser? So I think he's a bit lost right now. I don't know if, you know, we know that he can score goals. We haven't seen it this year. That's what he wants to become, and that's what he told you guys in Canuck Central that scoring 30 goals was was something he wanted to do. But, like, to me, when I watch him right now, I don't know who that fit works with. I, I don't necessarily know who that center is that, that he can jive with right now. So, you know, you look at that 1309, that's something that I look at and say, okay, I'm not sure where he fits. I don't think he's a third-line player, but which one of those centers makes a duel with him right now? Yeah, I mean, that whole part point of this season, too, is to come to come up with some duos, to come up with some ideas of what the lines are going to look like long-term, and it's hard to find some, especially with Brock Besser right now. The whole idea of him and Miller working together like they did last year hasn't really come to pass so far this season. Now, uh, one of the big calls heading in the, into this game was tabbing Spencer Martin to get the start between the, between the pipes, and hey, he made just enough saves to win. I wouldn't say you know it was a spectacular performance or anything, but it's like what we've, we've grown accustomed to from the Canucks this season. We know what they're going to give up chances they're going to give up goals can you just make one more save than the opposing netminder essentially yeah and you listen when you you give up four goals it's going to be something that you're saying okay you're not raving about the stats but a couple of opportunities that you know there were some big saves especially in that third period you had a, a couple of blocker saves early on in that game but even the way that he helped to create that Bo Horvat goal pushing the pace a little bit right and I'm not to say Thatcher Demko doesn't do that or won't do that but I like the aggressiveness where he moves the puck up the ice and it's the saves are one thing, but just an opportunity. This guy's confident right now. He's feeling it. So you need that. And when Thatcher Demko has been in the crease recently, you know, his confidence is not there when he's at his best. He is giving this team confidence. As of right now, he's just not able to do that. You hope against L.A. if he gets the crease that he it has some time to work with Ian Clark and he's in a position to be a little bit more confident in the crease. But I, I look at tonight's effort from Spencer Martin. Uh, we know what the Canucks are defensively right now. They're not going to win many games by allowing you know less than three goals as we've seen this year. So for the high-quality opportunities that they do give up, I thought Spencer Martin was solid. Uh, there's no real goal that I look back and say, wow, you should have had that one or that one's on you. Uh, to me... That was a solid effort, and he's clearly a goalie right now. That gives his team confidence, and hopefully Thatcher Demko returns to being that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Randy, great job as always alongside Brendan Batchelor. We look forward to chatting with you on Friday when the Canucks are back home in town again. Cheers, boys. Have a good one. All right. Uh, thank you very much. That is Randy Janda called the game alongside Brendan Bachelor. And keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. And we're, we are going to go to the phone boards coming up in just a moment as well here, Bick. But on Spencer Martin, uh, we've had people ask, people wonder uh, on social media and our text inbox, and we'll get to more of your reaction here. Do you stick with Spencer Martin after the win? Do you kind of give him a run here? They have a couple days off before the game on Friday as much as I, I can see the idea and the notion, as and the Canucks won this game, and Martin, you know, he's won now four out of the six games he started for the Canucks, I don't know if the game was good enough and convincing enough for them, them to go back to him again on Friday and not try to get Thatcher Demko going again. Because if Demko doesn't play on Thursday, that means he's going over a week between starts. Which is, you know, a significant time for your number one netminder. Yeah, give me Thatcher Demko on uh, Friday. It's... It's time, not to sound like Bruce Buffer, but uh, it's time it's for time. Yeah, for, for for Thatcher Demko. It, like the idea of pushing in Spencer Martin because he's hot and it, and he might get some points. Okay, in, in the context of what pushing for the playoffs, I, I get that they're always going to compete, but like 
Bruce Boudreau knows he's at some point going to have to put Thatcher Demko back in the net. This isn't yeah. like Yaroslav Halak like last year where it's like, oh, I don't know if I can put this guy in the net. Yeah. There's still trust there. No, there is. No, absolutely there is. Uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox. Marcus says, Lockwood actually looked like Tyler Mott light tonight. And if you want to be optimistic about it, yeah, I mean, that's what he looked like. Strong performance his first game back with the Vancouver Canucks this season. Got his first career point with an assist on the opening goal of the game. Drew a penalty, threw a few big hits. Was trusted out there, like we mentioned with Randeep, it wasn't insignificant to see, see Niels Oman and see Dakota Joshua and Will Lockwood, a rookie, be out there in the final few minutes of the game when the Canucks only had a one-goal lead. It kind of showed how well those guys were going tonight and how the coach felt about well, them. Well, more importantly, couldn't put Drys and Hoaglander out there. No, those guys were all... They were they were essentially benched. They, they were... Well, <laughs> they played seven minutes. Betzer got like one shift in the final five minutes, I think. Yeah. Well, Drys played seven minutes and 33 seconds. Hoaglander played six minutes and 45 seconds. Yeah. Dash four, dash three. Yes. Right? So it's like in the final 10, 12 minutes, I'm just trying to bring up the shift chart here. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't play in the final 10. No, I think Besser, I think, again, uh, I only, he only had a one shift in the final, after his penalty, had one shift, and I think that was out, like, after in the two-minute yeah. two mark, so, two-minute mark, and that and, was it. And, and Dries went out there uh, at the end of that uh, penalty, of the Besser yeah. penalty, and they got scored on immediately, and, and that was it. So they didn't really take a shift. and Two shifts in the final 10 minutes, yeah. 12 minutes. That's yeah. it. No. I mean, and, and once again, uh, the coach leaned heavily on his veteran forwards, JT Miller especially, 25 minutes this game. Bull Horvat played 22 minutes and 42 seconds. And also, well, Elias Pedersen didn't get out there quite as much tonight as those other guys, but 18 minutes and 24 seconds. But that's what you're going to do when you're at the... Will Lockwood stage of the depth chart, well, yeah, right? Yeah, but but he went very heavy on the mm-hmm. JT Miller line. JT Miller and Bo were out there every second shift, it seemed like, especially late in that game. All right, we'll get to more of your text messages, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber. Before we do that, let's go to the phone board. 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And we'll start things off by going to Paul in Coquitlam. Paul, thanks for calling in, buddy. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey guys, so um, I've called in a few times this year, uh, every time to complain about something. So I figured I, I should call and be a little bit more positive tonight. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, okay, I first got to say, got to qualify that with saying that was one of the ugliest third periods I have seen in a long time. I don't know how many icings there were, or whistles and whatnot, but you know, when they almost threw it away, they tried really hard to give up another multi-goal lead, but credit to them they actually you know hung on there at the end so i don't know i'm i'm trying to look on the positive side here and maybe this is a bit of a, a bit of a catalyst that will uh that will actually allow them to take a step forward and and maybe uh get a little bit of confidence in in themselves so i don't know i'm i'm going to try to be positive tonight yeah. and, and think that maybe this is the beginning of something hey paul thanks for the phone call that's paul calling in from coquitlam wants to be positive after when hey, hey wins always feel better of course so i totally get it and you know what I mentioned this to Reach on the pregame show about what are we going to see tonight? What is my expectation? I'd love to sit here and say they're going to play well. They're going to get the W. And, hey, their process has been solid. They're going to get out of it. And eventually they're going to get on a run. But leading into this game here tonight, Bick, the four preceding games on this road trip, none were really good. They didn't play well. They played well for 20 minutes against Ottawa and one in the third period. They, they were not good at all against the Montreal Canadiens, except for a push when they were down 4 nothing or whatever uh, in the uh, late in that game. Toronto, good 20 minutes, then that was it. 
they weren't in the game against Boston. They were making mistakes the whole time, despite the fact it took a lead in that game. And then you kind of go through the whole thing, right? And you, you look at it and you say, well, they weren't playing a good process. They weren't looking like a team that's about to get out of it. And when you don't look like that, it's hard to, as an evaluator to sit there and say, oh, they're going to come out of it. They're going to play well. I see a good Canucks game coming. You can look at some individuals and say, this guy might play well. That guy matches up well. But from a team playing perspective, they just haven't done it well enough for you to credibly sit here and say, hey, oh, this is what's going to happen. This is a win. You'll you'll get you'll give them the victory. And I've we've been sitting here for too many games this year and said just find a way to win games. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and and walk that back or be critical of the win. But they also had to hang on for dear life in the third, and it was dicey. And we've seen them do similar things to come away with it and win. And you're like, okay, well that should give you confidence. And then they fall flat the next game. So for me to be convinced, for me to like be like, all right, you know what? They're going to get out of it. They're going to get on a roll here, and I think they're going to win games at some point this season, Vic. But until they start doing it, I'm not going to feel good about it. Win three games in a row for once. No, for sure. And, you know, I think last year we used the term benefit of doubt quite a bit. Um, do you extend the benefit of doubt to this team? You know, I, I don't think they've earned the trust to assume that this is what's going to happen now that they can string together wins. But, look, yeah. you get a, a, a W tonight, you celebrate that, and that's... Fantastic. The players, and certainly the flight home is going to feel a lot better. Like JT I, said, yeah, postgame. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned you're, the Murph. You're, yeah. you're thrilled that you can actually get a win here. So that's a not step in the right direction, but it, it just it just eases your mind to now say, okay, can we get the next one? But, yeah, do they have to hold on? They absolutely did against Buffalo, who's having their own struggles right now too. Uh, so what happens now that you go through the stretch that we've talked about to kind of be concerned about L.A., Vegas, Colorado, Vegas. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure, and that's a tough stretch coming up. As far as this game is concerned, they played better than Buffalo. They had a good game. They created a lot of chances. They won. They got dicey towards the end, but you got the, the W. Uh, this one says, they won the game, buddy. This one, uh, Duncan texts in, text in and says, this was a win between bottom dweller cousins. Buffalo and Vancouver, uh, Duncan Texton. All right, let's take a couple calls here before we go to a break and get to Bruce Boudreaux's comment after a 5-4 win in Buffalo and more player audio and takes as well. But let's go to Aiden and Terrace. Aiden, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, how's it going? Um, so the game today was good. They got the win. But I was uh, looking at the schedule for the uh, next couple games, and it's going to be a hard stretch. But I feel like tonight gave them a little bit of confidence. Um, it's been a struggle for the start of the season, but I feel like they're going to get the momentum back up and hopefully hopefully win a couple games, but it's hard when you lose a, lose a whole bunch of games at the beginning of the season and then trying to climb your way back is just a little bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, it is a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, thanks for the phone call, Aiden. And, I mean, the reality is, there have been far more downs than up for the Canucks. Mm-hmm. But with how the season has gone, they are going to get on a roll at some point. And I know people are saying, hey, I wish they lost because of the tank or whatever it is. But unless they make a lot of changes to the roster, even with this flawed team that we've been critical of, they're going to win games. Mm-hmm. And there is some point they're going to get on a bit of a run. The thing about last year was our run came too late, too little too late. And now they're in a position where 16, 17 games into the season, they need to win five in a row. And they've won one now, four more to get to 500. And it's a tough schedule coming up here. But at some point, they're going to win hockey games. you know. And the question is, when does that start happening for you? Even 40% points percentage, right? Like, that's staggeringly low, right? Yeah. Like, they'll clear that. For sure. 
like this is I, I saw a funny quote today. It's like, wow, we, we, we get so caught up. I'm I'm kinda screwing up because I just saw it flash. But it's like we, we get too caught up in hot streaks and cold streaks when we cover sports where a team is gonna win sixty to forty percent of the games. Mm-hmm. And and like that's what's gonna happen here. Yeah. They're, they're gonna f- land somewhere around eighty four to ninety two points. Somewhere around that. That's I mean, and honestly the way it's going, it's probably it might be hard to reach ninety unless you yeah. really get hot and all that sort of stuff, right? But unless they really change the roster, they're going to start winning games. And, and to those who want it to start happening now, like Aiden's, you know, he's hoping for Paul even being being positive about it and people texting and say, they won the game, be positive, don't be negative about it. They really want that to happen. The reality is your faith in it happening based on the evidence isn't great. But sometimes winning streaks have a funny way of just happening on their own. And if this team wants to have any sort of chance of being alive over the next five or six games, it better start happening right now. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. You're toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Hold on to your lines. We'll get to you. Plus, head coach Bruce Boudreaux as the Canuck Central Post Game Show rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks win 5-4 in Buffalo against the Sabres, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep getting your thoughts into our text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. You're toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Now, before we go to the phone boards here, Bick, uh, we are going to get to head coach Bruce Boudreau, who met with media after the game. Uh, Much-needed victory for the team and a much-needed one for Bruce Boudreaux who's been under a lot of fire early this season and here he is talking about how uh, the Canucks held on late in the third well I you know they didn't get a lot of shots after that time and I mean I think that we needed the icings because our guys that were only using a few forwards up there and they needed a break so it wasn't a bad thing and anytime Bo's on the ice I feel you got a good chance of winning the face off so uh, but I thought we defended fine the last seven minutes and uh um, you know, it's it's never easy with us, but I mean, uh, I, I thought it was a good character win tonight for them. It's a difficult team to defend too, isn't it? Five guys are always up ice. They're always up ice. They can all skate, and that big line is a really good line. It's one of the better lines in the league. So you're trying to manage to get uh, Horvat uh, against them, but I mean, they've got the last change, so it's a little more difficult. Much psychological benefit is there to actually getting them across the line? Uh, I hope there's a, there's a lot because, I mean, again, at the uh, it wasn't that we stopped playing, but we started watching and wanting to be too safe, and you can't do that. I mean, that's how they got that uh, the third goal. So, I mean, it's <clears throat> you, the last thing you want them to do is say, uh-oh, here we go again. So, But you can only do that if you build on that and you have another you know a good third period when you you know when you win goals games by one goal you learn how to win a lot so it's uh, it's important those are those are good wins how much did you like the uh, Corvette Miller they were great Uh, you know 
they were great. They're great on the power play. Miller played 25 minutes I mean, uh, for a forward. That's, that's probably the most I've ever played a forward in a non-overtime game in the, my memory. So, I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, and Bo was 22 only because he took two penalties. And, and I thought Garland worked really well today. So, I mean, um, but I would, I'd have to give, but I'm going to give kudos. i got to give kudos to that almond line. I thought they played... They were, they were really good as well, and uh, Lockwood played really good for his first game of the year, so hopefully he can continue doing that. you prefer not to see guys going for the empty net? I don't know. I mean, I watch every other game, and they all do it. You know, I mean, there was a couple times you wish you just got it down, halfway down the ice. Um, and uh, uh, But uh, <clears throat> I guess the analytics say that if you... If you keep trying for the empty net and you put one in, the game's over. So, I mean, that's what they do. So, it's uh, who might argue with those numbers. And I kill as well, Bruce? Bruce yeah, 0 for 3. First time, I, I don't know, first or second time this year. So, But, I mean, I really believe we're getting better at that. I mean, we're, we're starting to really take onus of it. And um, now Mike's doing a really good job of getting the guys to understand what we're trying to do. On the, uh, on the penalty kill. And even though, like in Boston, they got two goals, I mean, I thought uh, out of the six, we were killing them really well. And then, you know, something usually so far this season is bad would happen. And um, tonight, uh, it didn't happen. So that's good. I feel like this was one, yeah, absolutely had to have. <laughs> I did, yeah. Yeah, for a couple reasons. So, um, but I mean, one, I mean. I meant the team, but okay. I know I know what you meant. And, but I mean, and I mean the team too. I mean, uh, uh, you just don't want to go home on a losing note with the schedule that is up ahead of us. And hopefully, this gives us a little bit of confidence to play against LA next, and then and then the the gauntlet that we're going to be running after that. How important was it getting those power play opportunities in the second that you converted on? Well, I mean, we've got a pretty good power play, so uh, anytime we can get a power play opportunity, we. We hopefully try to take advantage of it. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau after a 5-4 victory. And yeah, I mean, it's never easy with us. <laughs> that's uh, what Bruce mentioned there. And, and that's the reality, right? Like, it, it hasn't been easy for the Canucks to win game, win games even when they have the lead and in the third period. But they found a way to win it. And, you know, on that play on the Carner Garland one, because you and I turned to each other too, we're like, oh, that's selfish. Like, okay, like, you, you missed the open net. He outlines it, though, and says if you look at the analytics of that, going for the goal is the better play than just the safe play because it ices the game and usually it works yeah. out in your favor. So it's better to be bold than not be bold. But it gets dicey when it turns out to be an icing and this team has has to white-knuckle it for a few seconds. I think that's the biggest thing here. It, it, it's essentially akin to, like, in football, like going for it on fourth and one to to end the game, basically. Yes, yeah. And the, 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 like the numbers bear out that it's something that you can control, right? Like the puck is on your stick. Yes. Can you get it to the other end? It's better than relying on, hey, I got to win a face-off, and if we lose that, like it, it's, yeah. it's a sequence of events. Do you want to punt it back to the defense and say, oh, man, like for eight more plays, we're going to get this right, and or do you want to get one play right? And you're putting, the, you're putting it out of your own hands to, yes. to do so. So there's logic behind it, and it's, I just feel like it's one of these things that we're going to have to get more comfortable with, yeah. as weird as it looks sometimes. Now, the Garland one... That one, I'm like, oh, just shift it into the other zone. Yes. The Myers one before, I don't have as big of a problem because that's like, hey, it's on my stick. I'm going to take a big sh- I'm pretty sure it was Myers. Sorry if I got the name wrong. Um, but like that one, I don't have as big of a problem with. But Garland's like, you're kind of skating out of the zone. You're kind of under pressure. Just 
slide it to the other end. You've been out there. For, you're, Miller had been out there for a minute 40. Right. I think Bo had been out there for a minute 30. So, like, spare their legs as well. So that's the one I look at and say, uh, slide that one out of the zone. But the math behind it and the theory behind it is absolutely correct. Yes. If you had a chance to end the game, end the game. I don't really have a big problem with it. It's just that uh, we've seen the Canucks lose a lot of leads. It's, it's just yes. a little dicey. I understand why people are a little nervous about it. But even Bruce himself, he knows. Jeff from Mission uh, says, it's never never easy with us. They can make that the, the t-shirt slogan for this season for the Vancouver Canucks. All right, we'll get to more of your text messages. Uh, but let's go to the phone boards. And let's go to our good friend, Detroit Brian, who's been waiting patiently to get on. Brian, always appreciate your call, man. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? I have to be careful of my words. I've been prepped on words I'm not allowed to say on the air. All right, all right. Let's keep, let's keep the phone call. The theme of this call is accountability. Okay. So I won't take credit for this one, but Grant said it. You're looking at lipstick on a pig, and I think it's the same scenario over and over. Demko's good. I think Bic said it or you said it. The team will go on a run. They're going to win some games. Everyone needs to stop celebrating like, I'll win. Good teams want to win every game that's why they're 700 some are 800 okay so they don't want to lose they get mad about losing it's not about jack for one win or let's have a positive we beat one of the worst teams in the league so let's go to the hockey hall of fame okay this is my take and what i took out of it. i've never watched a hall of fame induction i watched it from beginning to end amazing it was amazing what you saw was three guys that talked about how everybody kept each other accountable, mm-hmm. made each other better, pushed each other. You saw Bieska sitting by himself up there supporting those guys, what, 15, 20 years after the fact. These guys are like brothers. You think this team is like that? There's one thing that Bieska, everybody was mic'd up, and it stuck with me. He's skating with Petey, and he's like, have you been to the Twins' house yet? No. And I think there's this weird disconnect with this team i i think like miller is like better than them or something and this is my opinion i'm not in the room i don't know nothing but they don't seem like a tight-knit group when you look at the 2010 team how they talk about each other what they say and then you look at the body language of these guys yeah they run through the words they say the stuff they give you the lip service but i don't think they're really accountable i think Pedersen even said the same thing and it was the best thing i'm not going to make excuses because at the end of the day, excuses are lies. The reason's the truth. So you need to look at this team and say, what's the reason? They're not good. The team's not good. I think you guys were pointing out the stats earlier. I don't know if it was minus 26. It was goal differential for when Miller's on the ice or when Horvat's on the ice. So what if they score? If they can't stop the puck, they're going to have the same scenario over and over again. And this is like seven years. And guys, my favorite quote from the Hockey Hall of Fame was from Brian Burke saying it wasn't the players that lost 2010, it was the general manager, and it did. This all started with Mike Gillis getting rid of everything to sacrifice for a win, and now this team is just taking 10 steps forward, 5 steps back, 10 steps forward. I got you. Hey, Brian, thanks for the phone call, man. Good run there. And, uh, I mean, it goes back back to the whole Gillis stuff. And, hey, I I get it. It's about going back to where things began and and all that sort of stuff. Good call. But but the the notion of the – essentially, he says this doesn't change anything. That's the sentiment we have in our text inbox as well. This doesn't change anything. There are fans who want this team to win. I know Ryan and Shemane has texted in. He's happy. Others, they're like, hey, maybe this is the start of something. By all means, go ahead. And the point we made was this team is going to win enough games. Somebody else texted in and said, guys, it's time to be realistic. They need to tank. They don't need to win these hockey games. They have to be realistic about it. And I'm like, 
well, the if you keep these players together, they're not going to tank. You know, like unless you unless you strip the roster, they're not going to tank. They're probably not going to lose enough games to truly be in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Now, if they make enough subtractions from the roster, sure, that might happen. You want to get worked up over wins? I get it because you want the team to get the high draft pick. But as this team is built, they're going to win games. And it's probably not going to be enough to make the playoffs with everything the way everything's gone. But it's going to be enough games, unless they make changes, That's they're going to get to like a 500 and above record at some point here. So this is all a holding pattern, right? That's what it is. Like we can all... Neither one of us has sat here tonight and said, oh, this fixes everything. It hasn't happened. I understand the passion to say, hey, this isn't going to change anything. This is, I totally understand that. But like they're just in a holding pattern right now. The trades that you want to see for the future aren't going to happen just yet. We've sat here for pretty much since day one and saying, hey, Christmas, in and around that stretch, December, and thereafter, that's when things will start to change. Might even be the coach after that stage. But this is all just a holding pattern. It doesn't mean they've solved anything beating Buffalo on game 17. It just means like we're, we're stuck until changes happen yeah and at this point you're left evaluating the games yes. what's going on until and, that breaking point and hey could something happen this week sure i mean we're at a stage in alpic it's uh, it's all bets are off and, and i'm not sure any wins or losses will expedite a decision i think the decisions have already been made mostly the only one you can control in immediate is the coach he just won a game does that matter or not we're gonna find out the next 48 hours is gonna tell us i mean travis green won a game and it didn't matter yeah so and and the other thing too is like if you adhere to the philosophy of this team should do everything they can to incentivize losing, tanking, right? Make some transactions, all that sort of stuff. You also have to accept the reality that players and coaches do not tank. No. That does not happen. And you've got to understand that part. If you want to say, hey, put out worse players and all that sort of stuff, yes. The players are not going to give you the satisfaction of, we're hoping to lose this game. So you you have to accept that reality. You do. And if you refuse to believe that, then I don't want to hear about, oh, they should tank. How dare they lose? The reality is players do not tank. Because why? If you give up, you're not going to get the next contract. Not necessarily about the team from where you're playing with, but... 20, sorry, 31 other teams are watching you all of the time. So if you give up, that's on your resume. 100%. The one thing I understand, though, I understand where some fans are coming from because they're looking at it and saying, you're not trying right now. So, like, just lean into being what you are then. Like, if you're not going to try and be unprofessional for first 17 games sure. of the season, go and do the rest of the season and get us a high draft pick at least. Like, I get that sentiment. So it's kind of like, oh, so these guys can, you know, they can be half-assed for long enough to get us out of the race, and then they want to pick it up and be good enough to not make it sure, and not get us a draft. Pin so that on these the, guys, not I, in general. 100%. I get it. Like that, But that's just a situation. Again, like, I, I'm all for the idea of you want to tear it down and do all those sort of things, like, as a plan. But unless they subtract from the roster, that's yes. just not going to be a feasible thing for it to happen. And I've been very critical of this roster of players. I've been calling them an unserious group of players because they keep for letting it down. They going let on down two years down. now, we've said this. Exactly. But 
at the same time, you have to recognize they are going to win enough hockey game. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do have a lot of reaction in the text inbox. Pardeep says, Hoaglander with less than seven minutes of ice time. You think uh, he had the laces untied in the last seven minutes. What's the future for a player like this in Vancouver? Thanks, fellas. Jared and Langley says, Dries minus four with 733 of ice time and Hogs minus three with 645 of ice time. This isn't acceptable. Now, I'm not sure if Jared means this is not acceptable from their performances or their ice time. I would lean towards performances because not good enough because I have no issue tonight with Hoaglander playing less than seven minutes. Yeah, no, no, no the, issue. The, Very uh, soft tonight, soft plays, and not finishing opportunities as we know, but a, a very, very soft play along the boards on the Jeff Skinner second goal of the game. Or was that the first goal? The first uh, goal. That was the first, first uh, goal. Sabres goal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was incredibly soft because he had multiple opportunities to try to influence that play. One when Alex Tuck got the puck and it was just a stick reach, and then it gets slid to Darlene and he, another you know, just a a wave of the stick and then still had chance to get goal side to prevent the lane or from Darlene to taking the space. And he doesn't. And Darlene does a shimmy shake and he completely bites on it and not just buys the fake, starts to skate up ice. And Darlene's like, thanks. I'm a world-class playmaker. I got this. I'm just going to slide it to Jeff Skinner. Thanks for making my life easier. Yeah. And and that's the thing that we talk about. It's like, are, are you trying to make life difficult for the other opponents, right? You're still looking for little details. That's a terrible misdetail. It's not even really a detail. It's fundamental. Yes. Get goal side. Get between the puck and the net. Exactly. And you, when you don't, you're inviting chaos. 100%. And what does a future like this hold for a player like this in Vancouver, to Pardeep's point? I mean, the thing is, they have a lot of players that are very similar. I, I don't know. The thing is, he is an entry-level contract, and he is a cheap player to hold on to. He's not playing well enough to have super high value. I think... Much like rest of this roster, it's kind of a holding pattern here with Niels Hoaglander, but not having the season he had hoped so far. Let's go back to the phone boards, and let's go to Pitt Meadows, where we have Matthew on the line. Matthew, thanks for calling in. Uh, what are your thoughts this evening? Hey, guys. So, uh, they're saying, you know, I agree with everything you guys are saying. Um, honestly, I think that the, the, the team is... Uh, Underperforming, but I think they can do way better. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, as I talked to uh, the Canucks, can you guys ask me a question? Uh, do they have like the the Vancouver Canucks old logo from the nineties, the the skate logo? Right. Can we bring that back? Uh, well, hey, Matthew, thanks for the phone call. I mean, can you bring it back? Yes, you can bring it back. They're not bringing it back though, as a full time jersey. It's just not happening, I don't think. Not right now. Well, could it change in a couple of years? Perhaps. But I, I, just, I don't think that's imminent. If anything, you'll just see it as a third jersey here and there, like you have been. Yeah. I know the whites people want to see again be brought back. Maybe they do those. I wouldn't mind seeing that. But, uh, yeah. No, I don't think there's any intention to go back to the mid-'90s skate logo. Not at the moment. I don't think that's the plan right now. Uh, this text says, how about that goal from JT Miller? Wow, bar down. And, you know, JT Miller now has 10 goals on the season. And, yeah, guess what? Bo Horvat scored yet again. He's up to 14 on the season. Pedersen picked up a couple points tonight. So now Bo Horvat leads the Canucks in scoring with 20 points, and he also has 14 goals to lead the way. Pedersen also has 20 goals, so he's tied with Bo Horvat for the scoring, but obviously has seven fewer goals than him. And JT coming in at third team score. 16 points in 17 games. So when it comes to their three big centermen, the funny thing is the production is there. If anything, the production has actually overall exceeded expectations. Flip the other side of the script, right? Yeah, it's just like the 
It just hasn't been the overall game being there. Now, Bo Horvat is now even on the season on goals, you know, uh, plus minus. Miller is minus eight on the season, and Pedersen is plus four. Both and were a plus one tonight uh, with both, Horvat and Miller. Yeah, that's why Bo got to even. But it kind of shows you that despite all that production, the defensive side of the game is something that's hampered this team in a great, great way so far this season. But as far as their performances go, tonight, though, I don't think there were any negatives about JT, Miller, Bo, Horvat, or Elias Pedersen's play. I don't think you can point out anything. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, everyone's going to flub a pass or something here and there. Things are going to happen in a game. But I thought all three of those guys were pretty much excellent tonight. Uh, yeah, I mean, Horvat took a couple penalties. Penalties, but look, that's going to happen over the course of a season. Uh, three points. But it, it, it's, you know, we've talked about the consistencies of blowing leads and all this sort of stuff and repetition in, in the game. You know, one thing that's been consistent too is those three players and their production, at least offensively and how they've produced. And Horvat had a tremendous pass as well yeah. on the uh, Ethan Bear goal. Uh, so, you know, he, he gets his fifth assist on the year. And it's 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 the type of pass that we haven't necessarily seen from Bo a lot, and that's yeah. why it warrants some praise. Um, you know, in the slot, finding the next layer of uh, of a potential attack, and finds Ethan Bear for uh, a, a nice goal in his first goal as a Vancouver Canuck. And, and like we've we've been critical of Connor Garland's play at mm-hmm. times this season. A very strong game from him. Like big shout out from Bruce as well for post-game. sure. And we talked about that play, maybe trying to ice it or whatever late, trying to get the uh, empty net goal, or whatever. But that was really only the only fault he had all night. Because I actually thought he was the catalyst on the line, as much as those guys, you know, shared the goals mm-hmm. and the spoils really in this game, with the spotlight or whatever. But Connor Garland in on the forecheck, the first guy often, he was winning battles. I mean, on the Ethan Bear goal, and I get to Ethan Bear, I thought Bear had an overall pretty good, strong game tonight too. But on that goal, it all happens because of Connor Garland's work behind the net to win the battle, spin away, create space for himself, get the puck over to Bull Horvat, who makes a lovely pass over to Ethan Bear, who scores. Yeah. But Connor Garland, the quiet catalyst, I thought, for that line tonight. And as much as we want to talk about that empty net moment and say, okay, that's a selfish one, you know what's unselfish? Getting down ice, winning a race, and then basically like sitting on the puck almost. Yes. He kills 10 seconds just doing that. Like that's hard work with three, four sabers jamming at the puck, trying to check you up, check you off the puck as well. So, you know, you make up for a move trying to go for the net. You know, like that's the encouraging side of Connor Garland. When he, when he spins and tries to do too much and takes shots from pointless angles and all that sort of stuff, that can be a bit frustrating. Yes. But no one's ever really debated how much he tries. It's it's the way he tries sometimes that it's like, ah, is that really that effective? Are you maximizing every opportunity for the rest of your players as well? But he's constantly trying. Well, the thing is, sometimes it's it's the busy player thing. It's you're doing a lot to accomplish it a little bit. You know what I mean? But he's moving. But he is. He's creating. Again, great game from him tonight. Solid game from Connor Garland. A lot of great reaction on the text inbox. Uh, Brandon and and Poco. Safe to say Bo Horvat no longer knows no-shows. Yeah. Not a lot of no-shows yes. for Horvat so far this season. Marcus and Gibson's not saying, just saying. JT finishes with more goals than Bo by the end of the season. You know what? It's not a bad shout because he's only four back so far uh, from uh, Bo Horvat, 14 for Bo, 10 for JT Miller. But it's funny. I mean, both these guys are on pace to crush their career high in goals this season. Fantastic. Yeah, hey, great. I mean, hey, whether it's I, trading a guy or a guy you signed, at least you're scoring goals. I uh, had a friend text it to me uh, during the game after the Horvat goal. He's like, there's Horvat sticking it to you guys again. It should be fun on the postgame show. And I was like, sure. And it, it went on to a bigger discussion of like, you know, are, are, there, are they going to regret that deal? Right. 
you know, the management group, like, this is great for them. It, it doesn't always have to be like, oh, this guy's winning, so that means everyone else loses. If their goal is to create a transaction for Bohorvat, you know what's the best thing? Bohorvat producing. Yes. So it's just win-win for the bank, for, for the management group. They're just fans that want to retain Bohorvat and say, come on, you got to sign this guy. Look how he's performing. But if, if the goal is to create a trade market for Bohorvat, the best way to go about that is have him produce. So I imagine Alvin and Rutherford all smiles. All along, the idea was they're going to keep one and not keep the other. So keep one, trade one, get the one you get maximum return for. The equation stays the same. It does, just comes down to which player that you want to be choosing from from this side of it. Um, a lot of good reaction and funny reaction I, I, in the text I, inbox. But- I do want to read this one from Colin from Caribou. I fully accept that coaches and players don't tank. I still say blow it up and collect draft picks and prospects. At this point, I'm fine with moving out anyone desirable for the rebuild. I've had close to a decade of pain already. I want the draft picks to go with that pain now. That's fine. And you still might get that. It's just, it feels like people just don't want to wait. Yes. And because, like, what happens in the in, the in between? Are they going to win enough games to take you out? I get that. But you're probably still going to get what you want. It's just not when you want it. It's all about the timeline for it, right? And I mentioned this on the show before. And it's like, you know, people are like, why, why, are, why aren't you, like, ripping management or whatever? They haven't made trades. And I'm like, well, to me, you look at it and you say, well, the window passed during the offseason for you to make the trades you wanted to do and you didn't or you couldn't, whatever it was. The window passed. Well, I can sit here and yell about do the right thing and make trades. I agree with that, but I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire and say you haven't made trades already. What's wrong with you? It's like, we be realistic about the timeline. You have to the deadline. And I, I want to The be- deadline's the timeline. They better get some work done by the deadline, Vic. That's all I'm saying. And not just Bo. Like, you better get some stuff done by the deadline. doesn't have to be today. doesn't have to be tomorrow. But do you do enough to reshape the team for the future come the deadline? And, and perhaps we didn't illuminate this well enough the other day, and, and so let's talk about it now. And when we say it's tough to make trades, it's not that it's about I value this guy here and you value this guy here, so I don't want to make a trade and, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just hang up the phone. It's, it's not necessarily about that. It's when we talk about why it's tough to make trades right now, it's that the money that's available across the league. So every team has got to operate under $82.5 million, yes. right? So times that out by 32, what does that come out to? It's about $200 million? No, wait. No, less than that. No, way more than that. Uh, 82 times. Oh, anyways. 82. Okay, okay. Two billion? Do, yeah, it's over two billion. You know, and let me do the math for you here real quick. Anyways, the, the like that's the total spending. It's 2.6 billion. There you go. Sorry, 200 million. That's terrible. Two, 2.6 billion. Okay. I was confused. I'm like, 200 million in cap space remaining? Yeah. Okay, no. It, not even. There's 200. Sorry. 2.6 billion. Billion total spent in sal- available to in spend this, this year. Yeah, okay. Yes. Of all that 2.6 billion. There's 73-ish, somewhere between 73 to $85 million, depending on LTIR and all that sort of stuff. That's how much is available. And here's the thing. There's, so it's, it's, let's say, $80 million available. And what? how much? How big of a percentage of that is? is 65 to 75% of that yeah. is Arizona, Buffalo, and Anaheim. And then throw in Chicago, who's got about $5 million as well. So about 75% of the league of the available cap space is four teams. So essentially, the rest of the cap space remaining amounts to less than $20 million. Yeah. So that doesn't mean you can't make trades, but it, what it does mean is you trading a salary without taking money back is almost impossible. So if you wanted to move the full freight of, let's just say, Brock Besser's contract, okay? That is $6.65 million. How many teams can absorb that? It's like three. Yeah. And do those teams are... is is 
Anaheim right now in a position where they're like, you know what we want? Brock Besser. Brock Besser. Arizona's not. Arizona's not. Chicago's. Arizona traded Connor Garland. They're not coming back to reacquire him right yeah. now. Yeah. And and so that's like that's the conversation of why it's difficult. And Anaheim's not. Like that's the reason why it's difficult. So all that just needs to happen is league days just need to spend. So you're paying a higher percentage of one person's salary. So it gets to the stage of, hey, we're going to retain 50% on Bo Horvat. So it takes it down to 2.75. And guess what? We've paid 48% of the season, 64%, whatever the, the league date the, is. More cap space. So right now there's some 80-some million of cap space available. By the time you get to the trade deadline, that could conceivably be close to $200 million in yes, cap space available. Because of LTIR and all that sort And of because stuff. of that and also how cap space accrues if you have yes. available cap space. So there's a chance that that cap space doubles. So the point being, you have to wait. As you wait, more money becomes available. Yes. Options become more readily available. It's an easier time to make trades. That's just a reality of the situation cap-wise in the league and making trades. That's why we're like, hey, I'm all for making trades, but it's complicated to get it done today. Be patient throughout the next few months until the deadline. You have to look at it as a longer-term few months thing. But my, my point and your point is the same one. You have that much time. You have to be patient until you get there. But you better make sure you get the deals done. You have to get done. Unless you want to do something where you're taking money, right? Like, it, just pick a team right now. St. Louis, right? They could do some help. Yeah. Do they want Bo Horvat? You know, we've talked about Doug Armstrong. Does he like Bo Horvat? Okay, are, are you going to take back Ryan O'Reilly? That doesn't make sense for Vancouver. But that, yeah. that's how you would make the money work in a transaction right now. Is that the type of deal you want to do right now? It doesn't make sense. I'll make. However, come February, you know what? Our tone is going to change because suddenly it's not going to be as tough to make moves. For sure, that's that's the 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 world you live in right now, and that's yeah. why I said this is a holding pattern until you get to that stage. I'll, I'll throw an example out. I remember I used the uh, Nyquist example before, right? Because like, but hey, that's a Columbus team that's not going to be trying to do these things, so they may as well just lean into them having a down year and getting their pick because they're still in that transition phase as an organization. But look at a team like the Florida Panthers, Patrick Hornquist, hypothetical here, makes like five point four in the cap. Plays on the fourth line essentially there. That's a contract. If they want, let's say they want Brock Besser, they could swap him that, take Brock Besser back, give you something, and that money's off to book at the books at the end of the year. Now, no move clause and all that sort of stuff, but to illuminate the point, those are the types of things you're looking at if you just want the money off the books. But even teams that can do that, there's only a few of those options. And Florida may have that one card to play via trade. And is Besser the guy they want? Is Garland the guy they want? Bo could be that. But again, it comes to what else you're trying to give there. So it is a bit complicated, but certainly something they have to start exploring. We'll get back to more of your text messages on the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650 phone calls. And we'll hear from Canucks captain Bo Horvat as the Canucks Central Post Game Show rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central Post Game Show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Third power play of the game for the Canucks. They're one for two as Spencer Martin stretches it up the right wing for Besser and for Horvat alone. He scores! Bo Horvat on the great transition keyed by the Canuck netminder Spencer Martin and it's 5-2 Vancouver. Canucks hold on to win 5-4 over the Sabres in Buffalo. Win the final 
game of a five-set road trip, which they come away with two victories. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shah with Bik Nizar. We'll get to some phone calls and player audio coming up in a bit. But as promised, we are going to get to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650 Bik, which has been absolutely popping tonight. Win or lose, the text message inbox always shows up with some funny takes some criticism as always and just with people wanting wanting to talk hockey the g-man says i'm still on blow it up the blow it up bandwagon one mean one game means nada and sandy maple ridge says whose idea is it to keep to trade one of jt or Bo? keep them both that is sandy and maple ridge yeah and there's another text here uh saying how is trading Bo a win who are you gonna get from a first rounder that does not pan out look that's fair but yeah like this is the the next level that you have to think then. It's what is the opportunity cost, okay? So I assume your reality is you got to sign Bo Horvat because it's better to retain him than the, the assets you're going to get back. Yes. Look, if that's your opinion, that's fine. But you're now dedicating eight, eight some odd million dollars to your salary cap for next year. Yeah. What does that prevent you from doing? That's the issue. It, it's not... Horvat is worth this, and, and the contract he's getting is worth that. It's dedicating the money cre- creates inflexibility for you. And if you want to start flushing this out with younger prospects because, you know, they're they're in a spot where they aren't winning enough games and they have to inject new talent in this group, where are you going to do that from? And and how the, the best part of the, the draft is get as many, as many lottery tickets as you can. Yeah. What well, and the cap space in and of itself, and I think what the Canucks are looking for here, and the reason they didn't, they haven't made a trade yet. Number one is we outlined the difficulty in making the trades you want, but the Canucks are not just after a draft pick. Mm-hmm. And I think the Canucks have gone to great pains to explain this, even Rutherford and Alvin talking about the types of players they're looking for, the age range of players they're looking for, and that's not to say that they're not prioritizing draft picks, but I think especially with a trade involving Bo or one of their higher valued assets what they really want is to get a valued asset who's young back in return which is a young player with with a great deal of upside one player they feel like can come in and, and be a difference maker and a core player long term and that player preferably is a defenseman or a centerman but because they're holding out to get that one thing that's been the big issue and even with jt last year when teams were calling and they talked to other teams that was what they pushed for and if they can get something like that, I think that's what they're looking for trade-wise. If push comes to shove and you're not keeping a guy, yeah, take whatever you can get. Take the pick or whatever, move on and, and do what you have to do. But I think as far as a return is concerned, ideally, they're looking for a difference-making player, not just a lottery ticket. Uh, 650-650, going back into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, this one, uh, William and Langley. Uh, happy for the win, but Canucks still very undisciplined, taking some very unnecessary penalties. Surprisingly, Myers behaved himself tonight. I like saying behaved himself. Behaved himself, uh, yeah. But I still think he should be scratched. We've seen younger players like Kuzmenko, Hoaglander, and others being scratched for much less. Why it seems veterans are above reproach. That's not the way to boost your young player's talent. That is from William in Langley. Talking about Myers 
uh, should still be a scratch, and maybe that means more ice time for someone you want to talk about, Ethan Bear. Yeah, I thought Ethan Bear, uh, offensively tonight, we really saw some of what he's able to bring. Defensively, you know, I thought the first two or three games he played, I was really impressed by how well he played defensively, but it came at a cost. With He was not adventurous at all. He really focused in on being good defensively, being in the right spot, making good decisions. Since that, he's become a bit more aggressive offensively, which you like to see, mm-hmm. but it's also led to some erratic play at times. And we outlined last game when he didn't get deep for a change and he started to play play around puck too much. Bad change leads to uh, a goal, in tr- the Marchand goal in transition, I think mm-hmm. it was, for the Boston Bruins. And some other uh, examples of his play being porous and having some poor decisions. But I thought tonight, sure, here and there, maybe could have moved the puck better or whatever, but... I thought offensively, not only because he scored a goal, but what he did on that goal was he invaded space off the point as a weak side guy, really, where usually that guy stays back. But if a lane opens, you've seen this a lot in the league, which opens up the backdoor play. Not enough Canucks players not named Quinn Hughes have taken advantage of that. And Ethan Bear, once he gets down lower to the hashes, he's got a good shot, a good wrist shot. And he showed that getting the puck past Craig Anderson. So I liked how tonight it kind of came together for him. Not perfect. Solid defensively, but I like the type of chances he took offensively and how he was able to help create off opportunities offensively. Controlled aggression. Yes. Right? Pick your spots and then lean all the way into it, but read the right moments to do it. Senseless aggression, which we've seen from a lot of Canucks players at times, uh, has led to some problems. And whether it be penalties or just undisciplined play, that's the thing you got to find. That, that balance, which is very difficult to locate for all pro athletes, but... You know, controlled aggression, and and that's what good teams do. That you know, we've talked a lot about philosophies and intent for teams right now, and these players right now. Go, go towards the problem. Don't let the problem come to you. That's what we're talking about with with controlled aggression. Mm-hmm. When 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 you're trying to go attack something, attack it when it's there. But too often they're trying to force something, and they wind up just uh, overplaying or overthinking moments and and we've talked over and over again about unforced errors yeah 100 uh this one says horvat and a second for byram and new hook i mean i think if vancouver could get a byram they would do that straight up i mean if they could have got Braden schneider byram yeah you know whether it's jt or Bo, i think you would do that you know that's the type of player you want a guy you view as a top four long-term young defenseman that's going to be a difference maker those are the types of players i'm just not sure those players are getting moved. I mean, I can't see Colorado moving him, especially with how much money they're spending on players now. Young player, ELC, long-term. It just makes no sense for a team that won to stay on the cup to move him. You know? I'm all for it, though. I thought the chance to get him may have been... Sounds great. I thought I thought the chance to get him maybe was last year. We had a concussion issue, sure. too, and the team was looking to make stuff. Maybe they were somewhat open to the idea of moving him. But now, I think it'd be foolish for Colorado to move Bowen Byram. Colorado's motivations are far going to be focused on Sam Gerrard because of the financial impact, right? Do do you want to clear up the money to give Byram a contract or do you want to try to move $5 million off your book for five more years for Sam Gerrard? I think Gerrard's the play they're trying to make. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what makes sense. That's what you should be looking to do. That's the higher upside move. And by the way, I would still love Sam Gerrard here. Like, that's a sharp player. He is. I mean, the only thing about it, though, is... There's a redundancy. Yeah, I mean... a, A left handed Puck mover. Now you he can, can play, play the, the right side, side too. But, but but also like, and, and I'm going to sound like a Neanderthal here, but 
You is he Sam- tough enough? No, is he, is he big enough? You, you already have Ethan Bear, who's not the biggest guy. Sure. You already have Quinn Hughes, who's not the biggest guy. We'll see how Jack Rathbone fits into this. You but I, I would Girard take Sam Gerard over, like, Ethan Bear. Sure, but I mean, you can't have all those guys then. I mean, you know, yeah, you got to get rid of more guys. Yeah, I, I'm all for it, but it's just like, you got to remake how that blue line looks like. Otherwise, you know, it, it's... Uh, it might, it might be like, very easy to take I'm advantage just, of that team. Just saying, I like the player. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. He just won a Stanley Cup. What do you mean, take advantage? He didn't, he didn't play I, in the I'm, last like, I'm he just, was like injured. I know, I know. Calm down. Byron about to step up. I'm just needling you. Calm down. <laughs> All right. Uh, we mentioned uh, the captain, Bo Horvat, scored another goal here tonight, 14 on the season. There was only one player in the National Hockey League who scored more goals than. Bo Horvat, and it's actually a, 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 a move, a, somebody he's co-starred with in a commercial, a current commercial right now. I forget what the commercial is all about, but it's him and Connor McDavid. Uh, Go Auto? Go Auto. That's what it is. Go Free Auto. Free plug right now. I can't believe Go Auto has both it's those a, guys. It's a really good commercial. It is funny, but both those guys, well, num- they're number one and two in goal scoring in the National Hockey League. McDavid won, Bo Horvat second, got a goal tonight, and here he is talking about now, not just scoring, but them getting a big victory at the end of the road trip. I mean, I don't know why we continue to make it so hard on ourselves, to be honest with you. But, I mean, you know, for the majority of the game, I thought we played really well. Um, they, obviously, they were going to come in waves at, at some points. Um, Marty made some huge key saves for us. and um, But overall, I thought we were, we were pretty good tonight. No, uh, when you break down video, there'll probably be lots of things you'd like to do better with the lead. But the fact that you held it, oh, how much has that psychologically helped? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, you know, we... Uh, you know, felt pretty good about holding that lead, obviously. Um, you know, in games past, we haven't. And you know, we definitely take a positive out of tonight where uh, we did a lot of good things, blocked some shots, and and uh, did a lot of key things to get pucks out uh, towards the end there. So um, overall, we're going to be happy with our, our effort tonight. The season's on the line right now. The way you guys are starting, you think these... Yeah, no, I think this is, uh, you know, these next, especially this little homestand, this next road trip we got coming up is, is, is going to be big for our group. We're playing a lot of good hockey teams, Vegas and... Uh, in Colorado, and um, I can't remember who else is in there, but I mean, it's going to be tough on us, and we, we got to be ready. That is Canucks captain Bo Horvat after a 5 4 win in Buffalo against the Sabres and talks about how the games don't get much easier here for the Canucks heading into this stretch. And that's why we talked about this road trip being so important for the Canucks if they wanted to credibly give themselves a chance to get to the 20 game mark, close to 500 American Thanksgiving, and not be too many points out of the playoff race. It was really incumbent on them taking advantage of those first two games. They won in Ottawa, you needed the Montreal game, didn't get it. We, we talked about how the bare minimum for this trip was getting three victories to give yourself somewhat of a chance. They come up short and get two. And I know uh, somebody texted in and said, given how the road trip started, um, it, is it not positive? Would you not have just taken a two and two and three road trip when it started the way it started? Sure, you can make that point. It's always better to get something salvaging it and getting closer to 500. You're one point under 500 on a road trip and all that sort of stuff. But given the amount of ground the Canucks have to make up, and given the point that Bo made and Bruce Boudreaux made about the games that are coming up, now the Kings have not been a world beater this season, of course, but they're in town on Friday. The Golden Knights, they've been very good. They're in town on Monday. 13-3? and three? Yes. And then you're flying to Colorado. And they're up one nothing right now over San Jose. Yeah. So probably 14-3. and three. You're flying to Colorado then to play the Avalanche on the road, then the Golden Knights again on the road before coming back. Uh, and then no, finishing it up Jose, at yeah. San Jose on the road, which, sure, but it's a back-to-back that you finish up in San Jose. And then Ovi in Florida, which isn't going to be easy. No, and, and if Capitals having somewhat whatever, and then you have the Coyotes coming up uh, and the Canadians and the Sharks again, so it gives you a little bit of a reprieve. But if you wanted to 
buy into the notion of getting to the American Thanksgiving mark and getting to the 22-23 game mark somewhere close to 500. As you can see, they're going to have to beat a lot of good opponents to get close to that mark. So here's the good news. Again, if we're entertaining this playoff talk set, which I know that's going (laughs) to frustrate some people. But look, we're providing all sides of the uh, argument, okay? Here's the good news right now. Uh, The playoff bar in the West is pretty low right now. Still really early, obviously, but it's sitting at about 88 points. Yeah, which is it'll go up. Historically low. It'll go up. I it mean, will it, go up, though. The, the last the lowest since the Minnesota Wild got in with 87. What was it, 76 years ago now? Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but look, it, it'll it'll raise up. It'll go up yeah, to about 94. Up. Tradition- let, let, let's say 92 for argument's sake. Okay. Let's say let's, it's a down year. It goes to 92. Traditionally, the average is about 94, 95. Now, there's an extra team so yeah. and some worse teams that creep it up a bit. We'll be kind. Yeah. But, okay, let's say 92. Mm-hmm. So the Canucks are on pace for what a sixty-two pace. Yeah. So you got to close like a thirty-point gap. Yeah. But they're still like, if if they can get a couple more points here, and that's why we've talked about American Thanksgiving, which is after that Colorado game. Let's just live in a world that they manage to get six more points here, which I would be stunned. But what does that put you at? Nineteen and twenty games. Yeah. That's about the mark you probably need to get. Now we talked about twenty to twenty-two points. Being one shy off of that is not a big deal, it, especially it, if the playoff bar is down. Yeah, I mean, it, it gives you like like we said the whole time. If you can get to the twenty game mark and be like a, maybe a point under five hundred or just at five hundred or slightly above, like in that range, you can sell it to yourself. You know, you can you can convince yourself you're into it, and you can convince yourself, okay, we have a chance here. Outside of that, again, to illuminate the difficulty of making the playoffs if you're under five hundred at the twenty game mark. Last season, the Canucks went on a great run. Final 57 games of the season. They were six points under 500 at the 20-game mark last year. They missed the playoffs by six points. So even if they were two points under 500 last year, they would have missed the playoffs by two points. The point being, if you're under 500 at the 20-game mark, you got to go on a historic run to even have a chance. And that's how hard it is. And you can't keep evoking the St. Louis Blues. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's really the one in, in a lifetime yeah. the type of situation that has, that has happened, right? So... When you hear the guys talk about how big these next three to four games are, that's why. And that's why this road trip was so big for these guys if they want to give themselves a chance to be in this thing. Clean up the mess, basically. Yeah. It, it was an opportunity to you know, get back to 500 and clean up the mess just to look at this and say, okay, now we can really address this and start moving forward. Uh, they still got some work to do, and these next three games are massive. Really, the next four games, that Vegas one's also huge as well. But that's the key here is can you get it back to a spot? And we know that there's going to be fluctuations. Yeah. They're going to pick up some losses along the way too at some point. But just to be able to say, hey, we actually are still in this and that uh, internal like, oh, here we go again meter doesn't kick in. Yeah, 100%. And. Those are the types of things you're looking at here, and, and that's how hard the road is going to be for the Canucks to try to get him back into that playoff contention. William and Langley texts in and says, About Bo, in the words of Elliot Friedman, it's not how much you want to pay Bo Horvat, it's how much you have to pay Bo Horvat. For sure. And that's what it's going to come down to. I mean, And all it's doing is really driving that price up. Duncan says, I got to party with my niece and Kyle and his, his friends of Bo and Byram. Wasn't sure if they were laughing at me or with him. I didn't predict a playoff beard. So, yeah. Uh, this one this next stretch is the litmus test for this market and the team needs to show its true potential of this team which is unfortunately very low this will be back to 
reality. That's an unsigned text. Uh, and yeah, that's what we're talking about. Uh, what this next stretch means. And uh, again, I knew this was going to come in because I was just elaborating the other side of the argument. Again, and listen, all we're doing is talking about the victory, what it means in the big picture, what has to go. I mean, it's just a reality. Of, it's a post-game show. We're breaking down the game, where they stand in the standings, what they have to do, and it's only game 17 of the season. Are you going to read the text? Uh, no, I was going to read this one. Seriously, we had the same crap after the Ottawa game, they, and they couldn't build on a gritty victory. Yeah, this and, one and there's this one. For the love of... <laughs> I'm sick of people telling you guys to be positive. No, we're not trying to be positive. No, listen, we've, we've always talked about the good in a game as much as we can, and then the bad in the game. The problem's been, for the Canucks this season, it's been overwhelmingly bad, so our focus has been overwhelmingly negative. They won the hockey game, so you say some positive things about it. But as far as, like, can you build on this... The point is true. We've seen one-offs. We've seen good finishes and this and that. What we haven't seen, Vic, is a stretch of games. You know, and, and that's what I'm still waiting for here. You know, you want to convince people. You want to, people to buy in and be positive for that. You have to put it together for a few games. It's great that you won the game and played a pretty solid game overall tonight. Do it for two or three in a row. And then it's like, okay, now you're on to something. Now you have a bit of a process. And if you're starting to play, you're at a stage where you're outplaying your opponents eight seven, eight, nine times out of 10, that's good. Now it's okay. You know what? Now you're playing good hockey. Now the process is good. Now I'm going to look at it and say, yeah, there's a chance you might reel off a bunch of victories. It's a one-off for you to feel confident about, and you got to string it together. Step one, though, is uh, get the opponent's goals uh, less than three. <laughs> or or at least give me three straight games of only three. How yeah. about that? Yeah, 100%. That's That would be a step in the right direction. Just multiple games with only three goals against. And then, and then work about getting up below that. We'll talk. We'll see. This one says, "Don't tease about playoffs, boys. Stay on the looking years ahead." Talk. Yes, but here, but here's the thing. It's a post game show. We're we're breaking down the game, talking about the season, where the team is standing. We have other shows where we talk about you know big picture and stuff. We talk big picture on the on the post game show, but a lot of it is breaking down where they are in the standings, what has to happen, and how they're performing, and what the trends are. And we'll keep that going in the next segment. Ian McIntyre joins us as the Canucks Central Post Game Show rolls on on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Central Post Game Show. Most Canucks coverage in BC, only on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Off his stick, Canucks win the draw, Miller scores! Right off the faceoff, he rips it top shelf on Craig Anderson. It's a power play goal for Vancouver, and it's 4-2. Canucks hold on to win 5-4 over the Buffalo Sabres on the road, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. A lot of reaction on our text inbox, 650-650. You can always call in. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. And uh, we'll have a lot of fun for the rest of the show. And we have Ian McIntyre joining us in a few minutes as well. Uh, this one says, how in the hell are you guys talking playoffs? Give it a break. Dan from Kelowna. Again. We're providing information for all the people, <laughs> people not are, just you. People are texting in and asking, yeah, what's going on? What does this mean? Like, what do you have to do to get back into contention? And, and that's what we're doing. That's, what this, that's it. Informing, entertaining. <laughs> we're doing all the things. I, I've never seen, I mean, one thing I always like is um, how information gets pushed back against. Like, it's just information. Yeah. Like, it's not a take. It's information. It's like somebody says, this much money to get to a thousand. It's like, it, it's information. <laughs> I'm not saying you're getting to a thousand. I'm saying this is how much it's going to take for you to get to a thousand. You know, like it's simple math. You yes. know, it's that that's what it is. 
Make your own conclusions. Draw your own conclusions. We're not doing a show for one person, okay? <laughs> Some people, look, I don't necessarily agree with the people that want to go like, hey, go to the playoffs and all that sort of stuff. I want to compete. Sometimes you're going to pick up L's along the way, but there's some people that really want the playoffs. We got to provide information for them too. Hundred percent. It just it just shows it shows the road they have to be inclusive to everyone's opinions. Hey, don't you want to know what it takes to right the ship and how hard that road is going to be? Torgi says these guys uh, get get off once, then they go to bed. They you know they they they, you know what the bed for three (laughs) games or whatever. I almost said it. but he says he wants to see a horny team, Torgi, sounding like Darcy Hordachuk. Blast All right. Past. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to leave that there. Yeah. Uh, all the Bruce rumors and JR throwing him under the bus. Typical Canucks, no class organization this fan base deserves to turn against this organization. I think that also goes towards the uh, whole notion of Bruce Boudreaux. And, and I mean, yeah, there's so many rumors going on right now. And, you know, a lot of the insiders have been talking about how change could be imminent this week. And we'll see what happens the next couple of games. There's some sense that even winning this game doesn't matter in the big picture and all those sort of things here, Bick. But uh, I think the reality of the situation is He's not the guy long term. I don't know what's going to happen the rest of this week, though. Like, I don't know what what this win does. You know, does does it stave it off? Are they waiting for another guy? Are they negotiating? We don't know. All I know is that what I've been saying this week is that this ideally the team would like to make a trade before they make the coaching change. Ideally, they like to get to the end of the season and then reevaluate the coaching situation. The question comes down to how bad is it getting? which they only know about what's going on there, and they feel like something has to give and they have to make a coaching change. And that's the question here, and we've reached the point, pick where it is all bets are off because of how the team has performed. And I'm not necessarily sure a win changes anything here. So I think the next 48 hours will be very interesting in Vancouver because if they stick with Bruce through these two games on Friday and coming up on Monday at home, and let's say they win one of those two games or whatever it is, then I don't really see a see the coaching change really coming now you know what i mean so i think it's gonna be interesting and there's a lot of buzz around the whole situation and we'll see how it all unfolds but ideally the situation the team has been wanting to hold off on making that decision as long as possible and and to your point i heard you on canuck central the other day which by the way go subscribe to that pod and the people show and halford and broff and canuck stock and the pdo cast uh just very much in the just echoing that like if you make a coaching change, you're giving these players a third coach. Do yeah. they deserve a third no. coach? Have they earned a third so. coach? I don't and think And they so. haven't. And no. so you just got to live in this, I'm going to use the term again, holding pattern of, yeah, it's uncomfortable for everyone, but go do your job. And yeah. the, the other thing, too, is like this management group didn't give Bruce Boudreaux the two-year deal. No. That's not on them. No. It should have been in a one-year deal. It should have been an interim situation to really build this out. And so that put another pause on things. So it's another holding pattern. And people want the resolution now. But again, it's just one of those things. Like, you're just going to have to wait this out. And the, the I think other, they should wait it out. I, I, we'll it, see if they do, they should. but they should. Go, yes. through the, go through the struggle. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know Jim talked about it. Like, if there's players that don't want to listen to a coach on a one-year deal. They'll be gone fast. They'll be gone. Yeah. Okay, well, then. Then we, do that first. Yeah, we, we've only seen 17 games of this. Yeah. So you're still having to go through that process. And, the like, the, the thing about, you know, will we see something with Bruce happen soon? You know, one of the reasons you do that is you protect the coach from the crowd of a home team. Yes. It's like, 
But nobody's nobody's asking is, for Bruce's job. Is is any fan out here calling for Bruce? I, I think Pick, I guarantee you that on let's say on Friday they, they take a two nothing lead. They're chanting Bruce. There it is. Yeah. So you're not re- what, what, what are you pre- protecting Bruce from getting serenaded? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But there there isn't any immediacy. The only reason you would fire Bruce is if it's a situation of we don't have all the information like Jim told us last year because there are certain things going on that they're seeing that they feel like we have to stop. And we have to change, you know? And it's not necessarily about bailing the players out. It's an environment thing. It's a... But I don't want to bail the players out. Oh, no, I know. I, I agree. Yeah. But I'm saying, if there are reasons... Again, I hate the notion. I try to do my best of, let's not say this makes no sense. What makes sense? What is a reason that could make sense for them making this decision? You know, you always try to find the logic in something. And then we can evaluate whether that logic makes sense or not. But I think just saying, oh, that makes no sense. It's a stupid... That's an easy criticism. What is it we're criticizing? And explore the thought. Explore the upside of the thought. And does that thought make sense for you or not? The only way it makes sense for me for you to make this coaching change is if that you look at it and you're saying, we're trying to instill something here and we're not doing that at all. Sure. And not only is it toxic in there, it's getting to a point where it's it's shattering any little thing we want to build with the with the small group of guys we want to keep. Forget the whole group, but there's like four or five guys we like here. Mm-hmm. We care about building something with those guys, and we can't just sacrifice another 65 games and this being wasted, and we have to do something now. If that's your reason behind it, and there's a lot of logic behind that, and there's you know obviously reason for it, I, okay, you can talk me into it making sense. But outside of that being your reason... Just because the players are looking around waiting for something to happen or just because you're not meeting expectations, I don't think the coach should be the fall guy. And that makes complete sense to me Yeah. Uh, as, as far as building that out that way. And, you know, it, it's who, like who, who would those handful of guys be if you really build this out set? Um, like the, the handful of players that we're looking at say – are they being impacted by the quote unquote toxicity of what losing looks like? So Pedersen, Hughes, yeah, um, you probably put Demko in there with their review. Then sure, people look at. It. But let's say Demko falls in there. I'd say put Colson falls into yeah. it as well because he's a young guy. McCabe, who they signed mm-hmm. and brought in, so that makes five. Uh, those are that's five. Okay, I'm giving you five. I don't, know, I don't group, know. I don't know who else kind of falls into the the group that they're like. You know, we're committed, really committed to. Of that group, how many of them are you saying? Ooh, they're not playing well. Maybe Pods, and generally speaking, I've Quinn. I've liked Pods' game. Yeah, yeah, I wish he'd gotten more time. He's not getting opportunities. That's He's true. not getting opportunities. Yeah, have there been issues that it's like, yeah, okay, that's what a young player does. Yeah, sure. But even Bruce has admitted this. He cares and yeah. he always tries. He always works hard. So the idea, it's like that five, those five guys, like those are the ones you have to protect. Guess what? Pedersen's. He's like, excelling. We're, we're raving about Pedersen's yeah. season so far. Demko, okay, that's fair, but what environment is in front of him? And then does Quinn have to be better? Sure, but I'm generally not worried about Quinn Hughes' play overall. Mm-hmm. Started the season tough, yep. coming from back from a flu, injury, and all that sort of stuff. So I'm willing to give Quinn Hughes another 50-some-odd games to figure this out. And that's a long runway played against what we're talking about, the immediacy of trying to solve a coaching change. So if that's the group you're trying to protect, I don't have a lot of concerns from that group right now. What about Kuzmenko? Yeah, but is is this whole thing falling? No, no. I'm right? I'm, I'm, I'm just asking, like on Kuzmenko, because if he falls into that group, who they signed and you know they they courted mm-hmm. very hard to bring in and convince, and you know, and all those sort of things, how much does he factor into that? And even Niels Hogan to some degree, I, and I'm Jack less, Rathbone. Yeah, and again, 
hey, maybe it doesn't. But th- that's where your argument kind of comes in, right? If you want to talk with those guys. But to your point, four out, four out of five of those guys are all five. You can look at it and say, I'm not too concerned about their games being overly impacted negatively. Uh, 650, 650. One more text I want to read uh, here because we're, we're, we're taking in different ideas right now. Uh, this one, buyout OEL. Oh, yes. Banning was a complete car wreck, set this team back 15 years, how one guy can screw a franchise for that long, but he did. Uh, and you guys will not read this text, uh, essentially, <laughs> but, but that is a fact. So <laughs> I, I, I've been wondering about this myself, of like the the timeline of what to do with Oliver ekman Larson. Because uh, I think yes. there's... Okay, so he was low man in minutes on the back end tonight. Your highest paid defenseman or second highest paid mm-hmm. defenseman was your low man in minutes tonight. Well, technically he's the highest paid, but uh, you're not paying that freight. But nevertheless. Yes. True, true. Um, <laughs> this is an interesting idea. Uh, you know, I know the other day we, we joked, be like, do you delete the 2022 draft class and attach assets to that and give it to someone else? I'm not even sure that's going to get it done, to be honest, of like putting the Karamaki in with Oliver Kerman Larson. Yeah, you need to do more. I mean, it, it's, it's $29 million, essentially, you're trying to move out. And it's, 20, it's, it's almost $30 million. That's a lot of money. And by the way, that's after this year. Yes. So if you trade him this season, it's like $35 million. Yeah. It, it's, it's a huge freight of money. Yes. And just remember, like a first round pick buys you six million dollars, so it's it's just too much money to try to figure out how to get how to get it off your books. So the the contract at some point has to be bought out. To me, I think there's two opportunities to do it. One is this summer, mm-hmm. and the reason you do it is it saves you. Uh, S- seven million dollars. Yeah, it saves you over seven million in cap space. Now, the for reason, one year. For for one year, and then it comes with 2.3, 4.7, and then 2.1 up until 30-31. You, you have to do four years of 2.1. Which is brutal. It's a lot. But you expect the cap to be close to $100 million at that stage. Can you deal with 2%? But the reason I bring it up, like I don't necessarily like this, but the reason I bring it up is if, if this year is about selling off some pieces, next year is going to be about still building, right? Can you, with $7 million buy a first-round pick from someone else mm. and say, hey, we have $7 million we didn't expect to get. We can take a bad contract now and get ourselves a first-round pick that buys us ELC yields, ELC years during this stretch where it's like you look at it and say 2.1 plus 900K on an ELC, that works out about $3 million. Can you look at it that way? I think that's a extreme way of going about it. But the benefit of buying all of Reckman Larson out this summer is that. It gives you a chance to recoup an asset. Yes. It does. Now, the biggest thing about... Rather the, than detracting that. Uh, right. The biggest thing about the OEL buyout, I think, is convincing any owner to fork over 20, 20, $22 million yeah. for a guy not to play for you. Huge. Which is a big ask. And you know we've talked about playing some cards. Yeah, that's a huge card. That's a massive card to play. So here's the thing. Let's say, again... I've been maintaining somebody's texting and said, hey, stop ownership from meddling. I don't think ownership is meddling per se at the moment. Not even per se. I don't think ownership is meddling. I mentioned this. Rutherford wouldn't have this job and stay in this job if he didn't have full autonomy. How long will that last? That's the big question. And history is shown here. That autonomy doesn't last for the entire 10 years. So that's obviously something to be cognizant of and, and be aware of. At the moment, that's not the issue. But the issue is, to your point, how many cards do you play? And if you don't win those cards or they don't come up your way, 
then the owner is not going to like that. And then it becomes an X, an X, an X. And then it becomes a loss of faith. And it becomes, how about we do the things I want you to do? And that's where that meddling starts, I think, when that faith kind of gets broken or whatever it is. So let's say you make the coaching change and doesn't have the desired impact. And let's say you ask to buy at OEL and it, you don't make the most of it. Well, now you've played two big cards that have blown up in your face. Is it $22 million? It'd be less than that, right? No, it's, it's, it's a third. You, you buy out, you don't pay a third. So he's owed $30 million, $29 million, So it's about $21 million. But the signing bonus money and stuff like that, it's a bit less. So Yeah, two-thirds of 29 is less than 20 Two-thirds of 29 Two-thirds of 29 yes. But because of signing bonus money and stuff on it too, that takes away from how much you buy out. Right. If you yeah. buy him out coming up in 2023, it's going to cost you about $22 million. Okay. So that's the cost of buying him out. Um. So I, I think the like that's one window to do it because that again the the reward is you could potentially grab an asset, and that's a huge benefit. The other opportunity to do it for me would be twenty twenty five. Yes, which is again way further down the line. You're gonna have to go through two more seasons. And then it's, a, it's capped at a four point something for two it, years. It's, it's four point one for afterwards. two and then one point five yes. for the remaining two years. Because that at least it's a shorter term buyout then. So it's it, it's which pathway do you want to take? I think both I think both are valuable, but like it, it's a real concern. We talked about it in the second intermission. It's it's not just any sort of physical decline. It's the mental processing that just like he willingly takes himself out of position. Yeah. So often. And then you got to catch back up and that's where is the foot speed there? All that sort of stuff is, it comes into question. Yeah. And I mean, w- that's the question. People answer, asking the question, what does an OEL buyout look like? That is what it looks like. Obviously not a great game from him tonight. Low man in minutes, but it's time to bring in the star of the post game show, the man we call the closer. You can read him on sportsnet.ca. You hear him on radio. You can watch him on TV. He is Ian McIntyre. Is there a way out of this, Ian? Win number 604 for Bruce Boudreau. Yeah. Each one is precious. <laughs> really you never is. know you never know when you'll get an opportunity to go for the next one. Felt good for him tonight. I was happy for him. I asked after the game. I don't know if you guys have played all the Boudreau audio. You probably have. You yeah. sure have. I asked him after the game if it was if this was one he absolutely had to have. And he smiled. Yeah, for a couple of reasons. Which I love, like even uh, even though he knows that his his neck is, I don't know if it's in the guillotine or he's just in the vicinity of the guillotine, but he knows there's a lot riding on this for him. And uh, you know they got it to the finish line. It, it was it was far from far from perfect as we know, but so is this team, uh, which we also know. And but they, you know, managed to. Uh, Managed to get one to the finish line. Maybe they'll handle the next three goal lead a little bit better. Well, hopefully, because it, it would make it, uh, it would mean that they're progressing in the right direction doing that. But, you know, you mentioned Boudreaux and you asked him how big this one was. Is, is, is it, are we at a stage where this win bides him another day or given some of the reporting that we're seeing from the insiders nationally? Because I know you and I talked about this, preferably they want to hold on and not make a change if they can hold on for long as, long as long as they can. But some of the reporting has been very immediate about maybe something does happen this week. Did this win change anything, you think? Does it buy him at least one more game? Oh, I, I think it probably does. But as I, I haven't filed my story yet, but I, I say in the story, who knows what Wednesday brings? Because 
you know, the, they've been playing now for for a little over a month, for about five weeks. So it, it's not like a decision is going to be formed or changed necessarily based on one game. I think I think what one win does is it probably buys him an opportunity to win two in a row. And if he can do that, then maybe he can win three in a row. And, and over a course of time, maybe, maybe you change opinion or, or, you know, reinforce opinion. If, if someone's, if someone's looking to keep them have, you know, because I've had my nose in my laptop, has anything been reported post game? Uh, no, about, no, uh, no, nothing reported post game, but just stuff from you heard. We've heard Elliot Friedman talk about it, obviously right. about you know something might be happening. I know Dollywall mentioned some stuff, and I know Darren Dreger's talked about stuff and watched something at the end of the week. I mean, it's it's the you know the insiders, especially the national ones, who've talked about you know there maybe being something coming this week potentially if things yeah. keep going the way they're going. Well, I, I think I think we all realize like it, it, it's just common sense that things can't keep going like this. And, you know, as I've, I've said uh, to you guys before, so either, you know, one of two things, you, you, the team starts winning and getting better results and, and playing better. You know, there, there's, there was a lot to like tonight. There was some stuff to dislike as well, but either everything starts to get better and, and including the results or there's got to be changes we're we're getting near the quarter pole now like i believe it or not there there's 17 games in so three more games and, and they're one quarter of the way through the season so it's been a pretty big sample size and uh, you know if if you're out at the quarter pole you're you're pretty much out so you may as well as rutherford uh told you sat last week you know, you may as well at some point look at next season. And it's just a question of when do you look at next season? You know, as, as a management group, as, as an organization, if your stated goal has been to make the playoffs and, and you feel the players are, are playing hard and they are, we know they're not playing smart enough and we know probably they're just not good enough or, or, or not as good as, a lot of people projected when the season began, but if they're playing hard and that's your goal and you're still, you think have a chance of achieving that, then you want, you want to stand behind them as much as possible because you you don't really want guys to be giving up in November when the season doesn't end till, till April. So, you know, they probably want to, to, support the group uh, as long as they can but the only way the only way that's possible from now on is if the group starts playing better because uh, there's been there's been a lot of support already it's 17 games we're not seven games in you know remember that the seven game losing streak to start the year was 10 games ago so you know they they've been patient to now but again, you, you just can't you can't keep doing that. So I think everybody understands that, and and Boudreau understands it as well. Uh, Ian, I hate to uh, correct you, uh, but the, the the quarter pole is actually the mark towards the finish line, not the start line. <laughs> oh, so what 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 do you call the pole? The quarter mark. 
Yeah, whatever you want to call it. But the, but, but the quarter pole oh, is wait actually... Wait a minute. In horse racing, when they say they ran the first quarter, is that not the quarter pole? Uh, no, the, the quarter pole is like when you're supposed to be like, hey, now you go for it. And, and you start making your move, basically. Hmm... You can double check me on that, but it's it's long been a pet peeve of mine that uh, I, I'm I'm almost certain that the quarter pole is the end, not the start. Okay. Uh, but right. anyways, uh, I can. Well, even... I'm going to keep calling it the quarter pole. Now. Uh, I know. I, quarter pole. And I, and I'll keep correcting people, and hopefully you we... can you can rail against it. I I don't like. I think you might be yes. able to solve global warming sooner <laughs> than you fix you fix this grave problem with society the misinterpretation of the quarter pole but that's, continue what's your question that's here? fine i can't even remember anymore oh right uh, about the coach because we were just talking about earlier like what well, like one of the reasons you, you do this is you know you, you protect a coach from the home crowd but it, it doesn't strike me as fans are eager to want to see something happen with bruce boudreau either so it, like from no. management point of view it like the timing doesn't even really make a lot of sense no, it, 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 I, well, I just set the timing, the question of timing aside, the premise that you have to protect Boudreaux from the crowd in Vancouver, that you can't have him coaching when the team's at home. That's, that's not, that's just not correct. No. Like, like my sense as a, and I'm guessing that we would agree on this is that there's a lot more frustration directed to, places elsewhere in the organization other than the coach's office. I think there's a lot of, sure. first of all, the, play, the players have grossly un, un, underperformed. But I think there's a lot of frustration as well with uh, Alvin and, and Rutherford that, you know, not more was done over the summer and that they've kind of, I don't really like the term all in. It sounds like, you know, all in is when you, when you, as the Canucks did at times when they're trying to, to win a cup, like all in is getting trading away picks and players and getting Lapierre and, and Higgins at the deadline to load up for a Stanley cup run. And, and you know, the uh, all in, uh, I don't think the Canucks are all in other than clearly they thought they could have a successful season. Uh, they thought, that they were still building, but they thought that this season could be successful. And, and to that end, they made some moves like signing Mikhaev, like um, trading away uh, a, a couple of picks in deals to get help now at the start of the year towards the bottom of their lineup. Although I think Ethan Bear is a good, a good pickup, but he's only on a one-year deal. So we'll see where he ends up. But, um, you know, they, they certainly – we're planning for this season. And then on top of that, just the stated goal of making the playoffs and the t-shirts, the unfinished business. And it created a lot of expectation, which has led to a lot of disappointment. And I think there's a lot more frustration, you know, my read on it, there's a lot more frustration with management than, than there is with the coach. And if the Canucks get up, somehow get up two goals, uh, on the Kings on Friday, I think you'll probably hear Bruce. There it is. Oh, absolutely, a hundred percent. And that's that's the thing that gets me on this. It's if there is a change that gets made, it simply comes down to I think there's stuff that we don't know about something going on there that they really feel like has to change and they want to establish an identity and an identity and and a playing style that they want to start getting going on right now and not waste a year and 
and maybe that's what it is or whatever, but I, I just don't understand why you would have to make that change unless that issue was there. Like it just if it's just philosophical differences, you can wait to the end of the year to sort that out and move on. Yeah, and and also the the other part of it is what is your plan to replace them? Yeah, like you you, you can't. Does it make sense to just fire someone and have no idea what your long term plan is? And if and if it's to to go get a coach for the next three years, four years, then that's pretty hard to do in season. Like that's that's better done at at the end of the year. So then you then you have your your interim coach options and and Bruce Boudreaux wasn't an interim coach, like which is part of what has led to some tension, you know, in in Vancouver in his job situation because he was hired for for two years, he wasn't an interim coach. But if if you do have an interim coach, then who's that going to be? And if it's if it's going to be Mike Yo, is that is that going to change things? Does that really change the dynamic and that's going to get the players' attention? Uh, probably not. It, it certainly wouldn't seem, if you're going to make a move like that, going to change necessarily how the team plays or structure or any any of that because he's, he's part of the staff now. So, uh, again, I think if the players are playing hard and the team is showing progress and they have shown progress. Like if you look at, you know, the shots they're giving up there, there's, you know, Buffalo is just wide open. They're kind of, you know, a, a funny team to watch because they attack with five guys and defend with none at times. Um, but, you know, the, I, I do think looking at the Boston game, looking at the Toronto game, those were very, very good, high powered, high skilled teams. I do think the 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 play, the actual process, is getting a little bit better. Not anywhere near where it needs to be, but you know the players are working. And then, so if you if you got the hard work and you've got things improving a little bit, then you have to get some wins. And if if you get enough wins, then you can keep you can keep at it. You can keep you can keep trying and not have to make a decision before before you're ready in terms of the long-term outlook and, and what the ramifications are from that decision. All that said, again, who knows what happens tomorrow. There's supposed to be, there'll be a practice on Thursday, a game on Friday, and we'll, we'll just see. You know, they're, they're at that point where it's just hard to know from game to game. But I thought tonight, all things considered, circumstances, uh, the type of opponent was the speed that that the Sabers have, the way that the Canucks did manage to just give up the one goal in the third and and play the last eight minutes. Uh, I thought all things considered, that was that was a pretty good night where there haven't been many good nights for them. Uh, we're gonna go to the inbox uh, to wrap up the show here, Ian. Uh, an unsigned text. This is to back up your argument, right? <laughs> how how did you know? <laughs> because you're you're just so childish sometimes Vic, that you have to you have to have the last word. But go ahead, it's your show. Uh, uh, unsigned text. Here. I'm only in I'm only in Buffalo trying to finish a thousand word column. Oh, it's oh, late too. Time. Yeah, you know what? We don't need to do flex. this. We don't need to do. No, this. no, no. I want to hear it. I want to hear. Yeah. I want to hear the text uh, from, from the f- inbox. 
from the Woodbine racetrack, markers at measured distances around the track, marking the distance from the finish. The quarter pole, for instance, is a quarter of a mile from the finish, not from the start. Okay. All right. So, Bick, what do you call uh, the pole that's one quarter into the race? Uh, I think people are texting in saying it is the uh, eighth pole. One eighth pole? Yeah. Well, not, that, that doesn't make sense. The pole that's one quarter it into be the one race eighth. is well, called the one eighth. No, because it's, it's from the distance. Oh. It's, it's the distance to the finish line, or one one fourth. I, I, I think the the, penult- the penultimate furlong is what people are texting in. Penultimate. I, I'm confused, Ian. We don't way too much math in this. Uh, I'm just saying the quarter pole well is either. the distance to the finish. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> that's all. Okay. Well, uh, that's fine. So just tell me what I should refer to as one quarter of the way into the season. What pole is that? Uh, I don't think we have that information. One-eighth of a mile. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Eighth of a mile. Come on. It's horse racing. Have you heard the horse's <laughs> names? It, like, it can't none of them make sense. But it can't be one-eighth of a mile if it's a quarter in. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, that, means, make... that, that means it's a half-mile race. I only know the term <laughs> for the quarter pole, Ian. That's it. All right. Uh, I hope right. no, I hope no mathematicians have been listening to this. Well, show I wish you would be more constructive with your criticism and at least <laughs> offer an alternative pick. Sure. <laughs> you can think about it and tell me on Friday. There we go. Oh, fantastic. All right. Uh, great stuff, Ian. Uh, we look forward to reading your latest on sportsnet.ca. And you mentioned last time you were on with us, you had a piece on the Sedines. If you haven't read it, make sure to go read it. Sportsnet.ca. It's an incredible write-up by Ian McIntyre. Would expect nothing less. It is a great one, so make sure to go and read Ian's great work, great work on sportsnet.ca. Well, thank you, guys. I'm glad you got through it. It was yes. 2,000 words. But I actually enjoyed it, and there's some. It's really interesting, not for for me, but for what the Sedins went through, and a pretty good template for a lot of the guys on this team if they would just take the time to look mm. at some of the people on staff and see how they how they made it work for them. So, yeah. thanks for the tout. You got it. Great stuff as That's always. That's a horse racing term. Man. There we go. <laughs> yes. There you go. We're learning something tonight, boys. <laughs> All right. Great stuff. See you guys. See ya. That's Ian McIntyre. And uh, the information, a lot of people texted it in unsigned, yes. but one of the unsigned texts was from John in Canby Village texting in the information. Thank you very much, John. All right. Thanks for the info. All right. And three quarter poll is what a lot of people are texting in. Is that what? Okay. Maybe. That's I mean, that's where we're going with. All right. I suppose so. Listen, I don't know. I'm, I'm just here for the ride when it comes to the math <laughs> equations tonight. All right. Uh, thanks to everybody uh, listening in, chiming in, and being part of the show. We appreciate every single one of you. And special shout out to the producers for this show. It's such a big show. We need two Ben Bassron and Josh Elliott Wolf. He's Bick Nazar. I'm Satyar Shah. He's back on the People Show tomorrow, three to four. And I'm on the on Canuck Central? I don't even know what. On what? Canuck Central, 4 to 6 with Dan Riccio right here on the home of your Canuck Sportsnet 650.